Okay, good morning, everyone. Hope you're all doing well this morning. Okay, uh, it's been a couple weeks, but basically what we're going to do this morning is kind of wrap up what has turned out to be a three-part series of sorts. So if you'll recall, previously we had spoken about grace, and then we did a lesson on faith. And this morning we're going to talk about obedience. And uh, in the the book that we've been kind of looking at for some ideas on, on lessons that has these three lumped together, I think it makes sense, right? Because they have... Uh, an inter, a, a relationship between them, right? They're not all the same thing, but they all have a role to play uh, in our lives as Christians. So this morning, uh, the lesson is titled The Necessity of Obedience. But first, I want to just, I don't know, maybe jump to the end before we get into the, the bulk of the material, but I want to kind of pose the question, maybe talk a little philosophically here. <coughs> Well, why does obedience even matter? If you look out at the religious world today, you see a whole lot of people that are really bought into the idea of faith in the sense of belief, right? We talked about that previously. There's a lot of people out there that believe in God or believe in a God but when it comes down to obedience, it doesn't seem like kind of, you, you kind of funnel down, right? You have like a, a large portion of people that believe in the sense of, a, as we said before, a mental acknowledgement. But once you start getting into obedience itself, you start to kind of dwindle down your numbers. And so I just wanted to pose the question, trying to maybe look at it from God's perspective... Why does God even care? Why don't we just have a religious system where the Lord just expects us to believe what he says and that's the end of it? And then we just go on with the rest of our lives. Why does God care about obedience? Okay, so the comment was, if you love someone, then you want to obey them because that pleases them, right? You want to please someone that you love, so then you'll obey. Okay. What else? Another one is, God built in all of us a few things that's natural. One is we have to feel acceptance. Remember when God told Abel, I mean, told Cain, you know, if you do what's right, you'll be accepted. We all have have that feeling in us. We got to please somebody. We got to feel accepted. That's why you have a lot of different types of churches. They'll go where they're accepted at, whether they teach right or not. That's an interesting point. So basically, the idea is that we have this innate sense within ourselves, right, that we want approval, we want acceptance, and so therefore, as an outcome of that desire, then we modify our behavior. Essentially, I think is what you're saying, Mike. We modify our behavior to be accepted by someone, right? It, it depends on the person, maybe who they're trying to please. Um, and that goes back to the comment, I think, uh, before. 
But the idea is people modify their behavior based on the desire to be accepted or the desire to have approval. Okay? Chris, I think it begs the question. Without obedience, why faith? Okay. Why are you going to believe? I mean, why even have faith if there's not obedience actually? Yeah, and I think, I think that gets into understanding faith as conviction, right? If, if you, as you're saying, what's the point of having faith if you're not obeying? What, what purpose does it serve? And I think you see that with some in the, in the world today, maybe those who aren't religious, who expect those of us who believe in God to simply keep it in our heads and not do anything about it in our daily lives. And that's not a reasonable expectation because if you have a conviction, then you act on it. You follow through with it. It's not simply about keeping your thoughts in your head and you think what you think and I'll think what I think. If that's as far as your beliefs go, then what were your beliefs really worth in the first place if they don't lead to action? We talk about that in the, in the lesson on faith, right? If you want to take one thing away from the lesson on faith, it is that faith is the power to change. Change what? Change our behavior. Okay, so, so our, our faith um, presents, I guess, the issue of salvation where obedience plays a part. The disobedience of man is the reason that um, we, you know, Jesus had to come. Adam and Eve disobeyed, separated him from God, and that caused the plan of salvation to even occur. Yeah, that's, that's, I think that's good as, an, as a negative point, right? So not only is it necessarily that obedience is important, but to understand the cost of disobedience, right? Perhaps then we understand the value of obedience because we understand how, how costly it is for disobedience, that Christ paid the cost for us because we disobeyed. In light of that sacrifice, what are you going to do? Are you going to continue to do what you did before, understanding that that great sacrifice would then be in vain? Or are you going to respond in obedience, appreciating the sacrifice, and living as if you acknowledge and understand it? Okay. You know, Chris, chapter, Hebrews chapter 11, we call the Hall of Fame faith. Every time it says something about faith, they all did something. Mm-hmm. Faith was not by itself. Right. right. Even without uh, knowing what he did, we wouldn't even be here. Right. So Noah lived with fear. He, he did what God wanted him to do. He acted on faith, but he acted. Right. Hebrews chapter 11, by faith, blank, did blank. Right? By faith, this person did this thing. It, it isn't saying that by faith, you know, Noah believed, and by faith, Abraham believed, and that's all they ever did. When we're presented with people of faith, we're told that they did something because of it. All right. Yeah, so so understanding obedience relative to God and understanding obedience relative to God's nature, right? 
if, if God is going to be a just God, then God has to care about obedience, right? What I mentioned before, looking at it from God's perspective, if I'm going to tell people what they need to do to avoid eternal punishment, what's the point if obedience doesn't matter, right? If everyone can just go out and do whatever they want, and it doesn't matter in the end, well, then why do I even care in the first place? Why am I telling people how to live their lives and how to treat others if ultimately it doesn't matter and if I don't care? All right, so I think we have a pretty good appreciation for why obedience matters. And I think what helps us is that we see uh, this concept in our everyday lives too, right? Obedience is not merely something that is between us and God. Um, you see obedience between children and parents, or at least you, you want to see obedience between children and parents. You, you see obedience in, in so many facets of life. So it's not an unfamiliar concept because it's someone basically, as I said, changing their behavior to please someone else. Uh, so, for example, you have a job, you have an employer, right? In a sense, you're obeying your employer because they're asking you to do things, and you do them. Now, they're paying you for it, but I don't think that really changes the idea. You're still submitting your behavior to someone else's standards, at least for a time. Um, if you've got a pet, right? You want the, the pet to obey what you say. And so this idea of, of someone modifying their behavior in submission to someone else is not foreign to us. Which then leads me you know, to wonder, why is this such an issue? And so what we're going to talk about in the next few slides, we're going to go to a few verses and we're going to talk about different aspects of obedience, um, kind of just a, a handful of varying topics, and hopefully we can get a better appreciation for it by the end of the lesson. So we already mentioned this a little bit. Let's go to Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6. And would someone please read Luke chapter 6, verses 46 through 49? 46 through 49? Uh, yes. And why call you me Lord, Lord, and do not the things which I say? Whosoever cometh to me and heareth my sayings and doeth them, I will show you to him. He is like he is like a man which built a house and dig deep and laid the foundation on a rock. And when the flood arose, the stream beat vehemently upon that house and could not shake it, for it was founded on a rock. But he that heareth and doeth not is like a man that without a foundation built a house upon the earth, against which the stream did beat vehemently. And immediately it failed, and the ruin of that house was great. All right, so we're very familiar with this, um, this story, I guess, this illustration that Jesus uses, right? The, the wise man and the foolish man. Um, we're, we're exposed to that story at a very early age often. But what's the situation being described by this illustration? Obedience, Obedience right? I mean, the, the wise man... What does the wise man do? 
He hears the words, and then he what? He, he acts on them. He obeys them. Um, so Jesus is, sets up this rhetorical question in verse 46. Why do you call me Lord, but what? Yeah, you don't do what I'm asking you to do. You're not following what I say. And that gets into the conversation we just had, right? People acknowledging Christ, but not doing what he says for them to do. And Jesus is very bluntly explaining that issue here. Christ expects us to do the things that he said to do. Uh, Christianity does not stop at accepting who Jesus is. And so he, he presents this, this illustration, this comparison, uh, I guess a simile not a, simile, not a metaphor, of the person who does what he says having a foundation, right? What's that foundation? Yeah, this, this, this faith, right, that you're building your life off of, this faith in Christ. If you don't have that, then you don't have a foundation. That's what we're presented with towards the end of the reading. Uh, the one who has heard, right? That's an important point, I think. Both of the people in the situation have heard Christ. But the foolish man did not act, did not obey. And that obedience, the difference there, whether to obey or not, is represented by this foundation. The foundation there is laid because of obedience. And so Christ expects us to, if we're going to have a healthy spiritual life, to do what he said. And that makes sense, otherwise why wouldn't he tell us? And so we understand this relationship between obedience and salvation. If we go to Hebrews chapter 5, someone please read Hebrews 5 verse 9. All right, uh, so I'm not Christ, right? Christ became the author of eternal salvation to whom? All who obey him, right? You'll see people try to... I don't want to say this, this isn't malicious, but, but for example, you see the, the John 3.16 applications people try to use, where it's just Jesus sacrificed himself, and then it just went out and everyone got it. But we see here, he's the author of salvation to a specific group of people. Salvation is available to everyone, but not everyone has it because of what? Of, of what? Not everyone, obeys. not everyone obeys, right? He's the author of salvation specifically to those who obey. It's available to everyone, but that doesn't mean that everyone has it, because not everyone has obeyed. And so when we look at these aspects of salvation, of grace, faith, and now obedience... We understand grace is God's part, God's offering, His favor to us. The opportunity to avoid the penalty of sin made possible by the greatest sacrifice that could be given. Faith is our response to that grace that's been extended to us. But obedience is what realizes that response, right? Obedience is part of the response of faith because obedience is living out what your faith has now shown you, right? What faith from the scriptures has shown you. 
And so obedience plays this role. It's faith in action. It's living out your faith. It's specifically that change, that response um, that Christ expects us to have. And so obedience requires a few things. Otherwise, everyone would do it, right? If obedience were easy, then everybody would do it. And so I wanted to highlight these three this morning. I wouldn't say it's an exhaustive list, but I think it at least gives us uh, some room to discuss and think. Let's first go to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5.17, please, if someone would read that. Okay, Paul says to understand what? The will of the Lord. Why would you need to understand the will of the Lord? <laughs> Sorry, I keep dragging you guys along here, but I, I really want to make sure everyone, the people are responding and understanding. Yes, the will of God. If I'm going to obey the will of God, I have to understand the will of God. If I don't understand the will of God, how am I going to obey? Um, here's an example. So, where I work... I have some trainings that I have to do on a regular basis. And I'm not talking about engineering technical trainings. I'm talking about workplace trainings, um, how to behave in the workplace, how to treat people you know, with respect, how to, how to follow the laws that, that regulate the job that I do. Um, and my employer provides these trainings for me to take on a regular basis. And a lot of them are... Super common sense, they get old and they're far too lengthy, but there's a purpose to it because if I'm going to behave at work in, in some inappropriate way, well, I'm going to be punished for it, right? There'll be, there will be disciplinary action if I do that. And so if expectations and penalties are provided to me beforehand, I have no excuse, right? I can't plead ignorance to my workplace policies if I'm provided the training ahead of time. Because then they can say, we told you not to do this, and you went and you did it anyway, and so now you're going to be disciplined for it. And so I think that serves as a, enough of, a, of a, uh, a similarity here to understand when we're talking about the will of God, it's, it's, I think it's a similar situation. It wouldn't be fair of God, going back to, to God's fairness and justice, it wouldn't be fair of God to expect us to follow commandments He hasn't given us, right? God's not expecting us to do things that He hasn't told us in that sense. God has commandments. Jesus has commandments. And Jesus' frustration in the previous reading in Luke was that I told you things to do and you didn't do them. And so understanding the will of God is important because it's been given to us. We don't have an excuse. It's there for us to obey. And I need to make sure I understand God's will through reading Scripture, reading the words of Christ, reading the words taught in uh, the Bible. I need to understand those in order to obey them. If I try to obey without understanding, I'm not doing myself any favors. So there has to be understanding first, so that I can then obey what I understand, what I read. Chris, yes. That's why we must train our children up knowing the Bible and teach them how to understand God's word. Yeah, that's a good point. Because, I mean, uh, Mike mentioned about raising up our children to understand the will of God. You've got to start somewhere, right? And starting early is much easier than starting late. 
um, yeah, I mean, we want, we want our children to understand the will of God. We want them to, to obey the will of God. And so then we have to do our, our job of teaching it. Um, and in the same sense, as adults, we, we need to continue to teach the will of God, right? Because it's easy for us to, to lapse back into the world. And so we want to continue to study and understand what the, the kind of life we're trying to live, right? What's expected of us. If we're going to obey, which is a constant process in life, then we need to understand our, the expectations. Uh, second point, though, let's go to Philippians chapter 2. Someone read chapter 2, verse 8 of Philippians, please. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death. All right, so we're talking about Christ here as an example of obedience. And that's the point I want to take here is, is from his example. What kind of obedience did Christ demonstrate? He humbled himself, right? The humility. The, the challenge of obedience, the reason that not everyone goes out and does it, is because obedience also requires humility. In the sense that I have to take my will and put it on the back burner, right? Remember, Christ said, not my will, but your will be done, right? He took his will and he put it behind him for the purpose of obedience. That's humility. That's taking my desires, the actions that I want to do, and instead, casting those aside and submitting myself to the authority of someone else. In this case, Christ. In this case, God. Humility is submission. And submission is hard. It's not natural. We don't really feel inclined to do that. At least not when it's difficult, right? And so humility is not easy. And, and that's one of the requirements of obedience. Finally, and this one's, I think, a little more obvious and intuitive. Uh, James chapter 1. James chapter 1, verse 22. If someone would please read that. All right, so yeah, we, and we talked about this during the, the faith lesson too, so I don't want to spend too much time relative to the other parts of the lesson. But, but of course, obedience requires action, right? Am I obeying God if I'm not taking action? The two are practically synonymous in this sense, right? We're told here, be doers of the word and not hearers only. As we mentioned a second ago, faith in action, realizing that change and living it out. So I have to go out and understand God's will. Once I understand God's will, I have to make God's will my will, right? I have to change my will to be in line with His, and that results in action. And this is the, this is the process of obedience, right? We're starting from A and going to Z. Understanding, humbling yourself, and then actually living it out. That's obedience.
Yeah, that's true. Going back to the illustration, you can't, you can't live on a foundation and you can't live really without a foundation, right? There has to be a, a building process. That obedience helps lay that groundwork. Your understanding and your faith lays that groundwork and then obedience builds the house, right? And the house represents our relationship with God. All right. Uh, and then really great point brought up earlier in the lesson that I had of course, I made the point, so it's great, right? But um, someone over here, I think, had mentioned it. Obedience and love are also tied together. If you love someone, then you're inclined to obey them. Um, let's go to John chapter 14. John chapter 14. Someone will pick up, let's do, yeah, let's do, let's do verse 15, and then whoever reads, if you will, just do 15, and then jump and read 21 through 24. John 14, verse 15, then verses 21 through 24. Interesting to take this um, passage and then lay it against that story about the wise and the foolish man, right? If Jesus is going to come and, uh, what was the wording your verse had in verse 23? We'll come to him and make our home with, make him. Our home with him. You want to have that house built, right, if they're going to come. Um, I thought that's kind of interesting. But yeah, what's, what's the tie here in this scripture between obedience and the concept of love. Yeah, I mean, they're, they're not synonymous, but they're intertwined very strongly, right? If you love me, you will do what? You'll keep my commandments. You will obey me. And so obedience demonstrates love, right? Love compels us to be obedient. They're very strongly connected in the teachings of Christ. Real quick, in, uh, in 1 John 5, verse 3, it's similar. This is the love of God that we keep His commandments, and His commandments are not burdensome. So just illustrating there, if I love Christ, He says, I'll keep His commandments. And then later on in the New Testament, if I love God, right, I will keep God's commandments just to make sure if anyone tries to make a distinction between the two, we have it spelled both ways, right? Following commandments, following Jesus' commandments, shows our love for him. Well, Chris, for example, parents want to see their children love and they And not a feeling. They can't see the feeling. They see the action. And so when we, they, our children do what we tell them to do, then we can see that they love us. Same way with God. He's, he knows that we feel it, 
But he ain't commanding feeling. He's commanding action. That's the agape. That's the only love God commands. And that's the only way God can see that we love him physically is by seeing us obey. He knows what we're thinking. Mm -hmm. We don't know what our children are thinking. Right. But we can see their love when they actually obey us. Right. Yeah, obedience demonstrates love. You can't see inside someone's head for the feelings aspect of it. And really when it comes to, you know, all of this we're talking about, the feeling part, feelings come and go. Feelings are very fickle. But action is worthwhile. Action demonstrates commitment. It demonstrates love. Um, Jesus provides an example for this as well, right? He talks about that people will know who you are by how you love each other. Our obedience to Christ demonstrates our love for Him to the world. It, it is, in a sense, a, a witness or provides a testimony that our actions do to the faith that we have. Right? Like if you're in a court of law, the witness would, would point to, okay, that's what happened, right? Your, your obedience acts as a witness pointing to your faith, saying that person has faith and you can see it by their actions, by their love. All right, but interesting point I want to bring out. I thought in the, uh, in the book that, that we'd been looking at, I thought this was a really interesting point. Obedience is not merely action, right? Going back to what obedience requires earlier, understanding was one of those components. And the point is many try to obey God on their own terms. And so we're talking about obedience. We want to obey God on His terms, not ours, because a whole lot of people go out and they're busy religiously, but that doesn't mean they're obeying God. Uh, let's see. Matthew, someone pick up Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Matthew 7, 22 through 23. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, and done many wonders in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never need you. Depart from me, you righteous laws. All right, so, so what's the issue in this passage? They're, they're doing religious things. So what's the problem? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're claiming to be Christians. Like, they're, they're claiming to be of God, but they're not doing what God has asked them to do, right? And so I think that's a challenge we see, right, is we're not obeying our own you know, religious ideas, we're not being called to just do religious things. We're being called to do God's will. And so it's not just the fact of us claiming to be Christian or us doing things that people might consider Christian. It's us doing what God says, what the Scripture says. Uh, in Luke chapter 10, 38 through 42... We have the story of Mary and Martha, right? And what is the conclusion of the story from Martha's perspective? She's doing all the work in the one that Yeah, she was doing a whole bunch of stuff, but she missed the point, right? And I think that's a temptation for people in the religious world today, for us, is I can go out and do a whole bunch of stuff, and I have good intentions behind it. And they're probably still even good things, in a sense, but if I'm not obeying Christ, if I'm not actually following God's word, 
I'm just keeping myself busy. I'm doing things, but I may not be doing things that God wants me to do. Okay? Does that make sense? Yeah, it's like Romans chapter 10, those that went about their own righteousness. Mm -hmm. Didn't know the righteousness of God. They had zeal, but no knowledge. Right. Zeal, but not according to knowledge. All right. Last point. Um, obeying God, not men. Right? When we're talking about obedience, there's an object of our obedience. There is someone that we obey. Well, in Matthew chapter 10, verse 28... What does it say? And do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul, but rather fear him who is able to destroy both soul and body in hell. All right, so who, who are we to fear? God, who is the one who ultimately has the authority, right? God has the power. We're not fearing the men of this world because all they can do is harm the body. They can't touch the soul. God is the one who has the ultimate power. We see a good example of this in Acts chapter 5. Acts 5, uh, 18 through 29. We'll just skip down to verse 29. Um, Peter and the apostles said what? Yeah, we must obey God, not man, right? We're not here to do man's will. We're here to do God's will. And in this situation, there was a conflict, right? Men did not want them to be teaching God's word, but God did. And so they were at an impasse. Who am I going to obey? The conclusion they gave is we must obey God rather than men. There's a conflict here, and I'm going to obey the one who has, has ownership of my soul. I do want to put a point to this, though, because I think some people can take this idea and go too far with it. Uh, Romans 13, verse 1. We're running out of time, but I want to make this point real quick, and then we'll be done. Romans 13, verse 1. Someone please read that. But every soul we said you go to the higher powers, All right, so we, we see here in another passage, uh, other parts of Scripture, earthly rulers, God allows them to do what they do, to be in power. Uh, there's authority in them, and those that exist, says here, are established by God. No one has ever come into power over a, a nation, a group of people that God did not allow for his purposes. And so... We understand that we need to be subject to the earthly governing authorities, right? This is, not the, this is not an invitation to be rebellious. This is not an invitation to be, um, well, what's another word? But basically to, you know, to disobey the worldly authorities. Just because God has precedence does not mean that we need to be going out of our way to disobey the law, right? The, the description we're given in the New Testament of the Christian is someone who is a model citizen, that they are a good, a good person following the laws of the land. And think about this. Paul is writing to the Romans when he says this. He's not writing to Americans in the specific context. He's writing to Romans, telling them to be subject to the government. Think about what you know about the government of Rome. 
And yes, we have our concerns about where our world is headed, where our country might be headed, but think about the first century church and what was going on with them and what Rome was doing to them. And then consider that Paul said, be subject to the governing authorities. So we, we obey God, not men, but that does not mean that we go out of our way to disobey men either. There's a balance there that we need to understand. God's will takes precedence, but God also wants us to obey the earthly authorities too. So bottom line, obedience is hard. It's difficult, but it's something that's, that we are called and expected to do. Just as having faith, right, obedience is part of that. And so obedience is part of God's expectation for us. All right, thank you for your attention this morning.